I'm Craig Fisher, and this is Inside Talent, where we take you into the minds behind the scenes and show you some of the coolest tools and best practices of some of the coolest people in the talent industry. Hey, it's Craig Fisher, and this is the Inside Talent Show, and uh, it is brought to you by Visage.jobs, where you can crowdsource sourcing. It's fantastic. Today, I'm here with Jason Roberts. Jason, how's it going? Tell us about you. It is going well. Hey, Greg. Um, so my name is Jason Roberts. I am. Uh, I work at Accenture, and my job is to uh, be responsible for our talent acquisition offerings at Accenture. What that means is uh, people come to us, and uh, specifically, I'm in Accenture's operations group, and people will come to us and ask us to uh, to take responsibility for portions of their process, and I help make that happen. And uh, that means I get to work with all the technologies and tools and processes across a bunch of different customers and a bunch of dif- different industries. And it uh, helps me see lots of things. Yes. And it helps us have some very interesting conversations, I would say. It, it does. It does. It does. I do a lot of similar stuff. So uh, we're going to talk today about COVID's impact on the talent market. <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit about um, you know what we're seeing uh, with various companies and, you know, what, what impact that's had on who's winning and who's losing uh, because of all this. Uh, Yeah. And so let me ask you, start by saying this, are are there any really big trends um, that you're seeing uh, happening in corporations because of, you know, where we are today with remote work and with testing and with, you know, everything that we have to, jump across in order to get work done right now yeah well it's uh you know of, of course the most significant shift is um there's a lot less hiring right so um you know we went from uh, i think our low unemployment rate was uh 3.5 percent we were 3.5 percent unemployment in um in february and right now we're at 10.2 so that's end of July numbers, August numbers at the time that we're talking haven't come out yet. Um, and uh, so we're sitting at 10.2% today. Recruiting in a 3% unemployment rate market is a very different thing than recruiting in a 10% unemployment market rate. So in one situation, you're actively sort of, um, well, you're working a lot with passive candidates. You're trying to find people that uh, that aren't necessarily looking to change jobs and there aren't a ton of people on the market. Um, some people believe that 5% is actually the healthy rate where there's healthy churn. You're able to, to more simply find roles and um, anything under that, you know, there was speculation at, the, at one point that we were sort of in a, a bit of a log jam when it came to candidates. But at uh, 10.2, there's really great candidates everywhere. So if you spend a bunch of your time on passive candidates and you're not focused on the active ones, you're probably wasting your time. Like there's there's a lot of people out there that are really good at what they do that don't have jobs right now. So it's it's just a different it's a different thing altogether. Yeah. So there are a bunch of A players um, scattered across the country right now that are not working. There's a lot of B players as well that are still really good, and you know your team needs all of that. Your team right. even needs some C players, right? So now's a great time yep. to find them. Good mix. Uh, yeah, right. And but there are a few types of 
of candidates. So there's there's the ones that you may have already furloughed or laid off, right? And I think that if you're a good company, uh, you should be looking at those folks first. Um, right. Some companies don't want those folks back for whatever reason. And so then you're looking at uh, new people that are have to be introduced to your organization, basically. Yep. And so your branding kind of has to change, I feel like, at this point. Your job descriptions need to change. Uh, what you're offering candidates uh, in terms of flexibility, uh, work from home, you know, all these things that are going to be a requirement, uh, health and safety, um, insurance. I mean, all of these things are going to be really, really important to candidates that <clears throat> maybe they're A players and they got a nice little uh, runway to leave their last job. Or they, if they're any good, have probably started some consulting work and they don't have to jump into a new job right away. So right. how do you attract those folks? And, you know, what what have you seen? Well, I think the I think the work from home piece is is key. Right. So people I think people won't want to go back to work. Um, one of the one of the questions that, uh, you know, we're doing this survey of HR leaders uh, focused on COVID response. And one of the questions that was uh, was mentioned yesterday, when um, when I sort of crowdsourced some input on this, was uh, which how many what percentage of your positions are you going to keep remote after this? And I think there's a bunch. I think mm -hmm. the uh, that brings us to the first big uh, you know we were talking about winners and losers in this thing. I think the long term. Uh, loser is on this side is going to be um, sort of corporate real estate. If you're run, if you own commercial real estate that uh, you're in, and you're in a big downtown metro area, man, you're in trouble. There's right. going to be a it's it's going to be difficult to get anyone to renew a lease. And uh, I think what's going to happen is spaces are going to be broken up into much smaller spaces with flex work uh, offered. Sort of the the WeWork model just exploded. Right across the market, so that people can have a place to come and meet, but not necessarily a place where they come and work every single day. Right. Yeah, I I think you're right. <clears throat> one of my now this is interesting. One of my neighbors is the building manager for the Bank of America Tower uh, hmm. in downtown Dallas, right? And he says they're still okay. There's still people coming and going uh, into offices and it's, you know, maybe half of what it normally is. Yeah. Um, and they will find other uses for some of that space. Right. So we know that um, a lot of the call centers, for instance, that were being used by the hospitality industry that are now kind of vacant um, have been uh, shared with uh, local and state municipalities where, those organizations have to distribute healthcare and phone uh, and, you know, uh, be yep. demanding phones for questions from uh, people inquiring about uh, tax benefits and um, COVID benefits. Well, that and like unemployment yeah. uh, is another one where they, they've really, um, they've, they've had a real trouble. Um, we, uh, so at Accenture, we get asked to participate and, and even staff. So you've got the the idea of the, the contact tracers and the people who um, who are uh, sort of tracking uh, infection and then the connections between uh, infected people. 
So they're setting up, each state is setting up massive call center sort of environments, but there, and there's a combination of roles between um, investigators and contact tracers, people that are just calling and saying, hey, you've been, uh, uh, you were in contact with someone in the last 30 days or the last uh, 72 hours even that uh, has tested positive for COVID, you need to self-quarantine for two weeks. And there, there are people who are being gathered in these centers. Um, there, there are investigators to go identify who all those people are. And then there are people making calls telling them that they've been, uh, they've been in contact with someone who's been infected. And this is happening across many, many states. So Accenture's doing this for some, um, others are doing it for others, but um, those call centers are being picked up there too. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's new work to be done Right. Uh, that that wasn't there before. I think the hospitality industry is gonna, and they're gonna have a tough road to recovery. They're they're actually sitting. If the population as a whole is at, um, is at 10.2 percent unemployment, uh, leisure and hospitality that segment in the uh, Bureau of Labor and Statistics is at 25 percent unemployment. Yeah. And I thought that was I thought that was low. I thought it would be closer to 50. Well. You know, it's interesting when at, at Allegis, I worked with uh, CVS quite a bit and mm-hmm. we did some work on revamping their job ads and things like that when all of this came down because they announced they had to hire 50,000 people to yeah. be frontline healthcare professionals and, yeah. and call centers and warehouses. And so uh, what they did was they had agreements with some of their customers like Hilton where they would take on some of those furloughed workers for those jobs. And um, then, you know, when Hilton opens back up, those people might be able to go back to Hilton. Uh, They've got this agreement or they might find a permanent home at CVS. So that's one of the reasons that, you know, that number is a little bit lower because there are a lot of collaborations like that going on right now. So let's talk furloughed workers for a minute. Um, one of the things that was pretty shocking to me is I, we had uh, customers come to us and say, hey, we just furloughed a bunch of people. It's time to bring them back, right? And these are, um, uh, these, some of these were sort of distribution centery, warehousey people. Some were retail. Um, and they're, they're all sort of the, you know, let's call it uh, $12 to $18 an hour workers, right? Um, low skill, high volume sort of jobs. And um, they were all sent home for a little while. And then when it was time to bring them back, the challenge was that they, when they sent them home, they didn't uh, get a reset on their, um, uh, their contact information. And with that population, they change phones way more often. They, they may not even do email. Um, it's just a, it's, it's much more difficult to keep track of them, uh, change addresses more often as, as renters. So, um, we, we deployed sourcers to help with that. And we had sourcers go out and find furloughed people for, for a minute. It was great. Lost you there. There you are. Hey, Craig, I can't hear you. There we go. There you go. So let me ask you about that. Oh, I lost you. <laughs> there you no, are. I'm back. There we go. All right. So you deployed you, you deployed uh, sourcers to help locate uh, furloughed people and yes. uh, and get them back into a queue for certain types of jobs. 
with their original companies or with other companies? With their original companies. Mm-hmm. So the original companies. So they, they did a massive callback. And then some of the people they called back, they couldn't actually yeah. make contact with. <clears throat> and uh, some some parts were easy. Like it was just networking. Hey, you, you work on this shift with this person. Do you know how to get in touch with them? Mm-hmm. Um, some people, it was harder. And the um, uh, we actually brought in some of the some of the really interesting sourcing techniques you learn at SourceCon. I'm wearing my SourceCon shirt today. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, but yeah. So the open source intelligence stuff that you can you can do, um, looking at communications and and how people interact with each other. Um, we pulled some of that stuff out to to help identify where where these people are now. Mm-hmm. We um, there was at least one case where we direct messaged a person on Twitter that uh, that we couldn't find any other way. Did it work? And it worked. That's great. Like I yeah. Love that. yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you, if they're like me, uh, I wouldn't see that for about two weeks because I don't check my direct messages on Twitter hardly at all. You know, I'm, you know, that's the worst for me is LinkedIn. As a recruiting guy, you think I'd be on there all the time, but right. I'll I'll go and and just look at LinkedIn every once in a while and. I've got a stack of messages and these are people that are accustomed to everyone being in there all the time. Right. So they're super annoyed at me. Like they think I'm the worst person. Right. Well, yeah. And you know, if you're smart uh, and you know how to wrangle people and you know, a good recruiter will, will figure out the best way to communicate with whoever. Right. So I figured out the ways I need to communicate with you and vice versa. And I'm the same, Uh, even though I'm on LinkedIn a lot and it's kind of one of my primary mediums. Um, I'm heads down right now. I mean, I'm so busy and, you know, doing a lot of this, uh, obviously, but also, uh, doing workshops and consulting work for, you know, big companies and, and helping out tech startups, uh, with advisory and, you know, the stuff that you do when you're not working in a full-time job and it's, uh, it's really busy. Right. And so I don't, I, so I focus a lot. I go and I do sprints like Glenn Cappy was talking about yesterday mm. and I don't do anything else. My phone is turned off or turned down so that I can't see it. I don't get interrupt driven and I go for a couple hours at a time uh, completing a task or, you know, whatever that given time is. And so I may you know, or may not see it. Glenn used to break his day down into five minute increments. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> I, I can't do that now. What I'll what I'll say is I'll I find that my email piles up on me because I don't I there was a time when I would look at email while I'm on conference calls mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the the type of role I have now or something different but I feel like I have to be completely 100% present on a call now mm-hmm. and I can't do emails and be effective on there any longer well and we didn't used to have to be on video for all of our conference calls. Right. That's true. I mean, That's true. You, you're given a lot of nonverbal cues now if you're looking away and, yeah. and distracted the whole time. And well, it's funny. You, you have to be an active listener as well. Yeah. Well, so I have a I have a second screen over here and it's where, you know, all of my information is and, and things like that. The the screen that has my camera attached is actually kind of small. Mm-hmm. So I like to look over here a lot, but it looks like I'm not paying attention. So I I end up, you know, completely zeroed in. It's good. Yeah. And I do the same thing. I have to actually uh, maneuver whoever I'm looking at directly behind my camera. Uh, Mm. But my camera, I can, it's got, it's, it's on a bendy cliff so I can put it wherever I want. Um, But 
let's get back to something that you mentioned a minute ago. You said that you put sorcerers on finding furloughed workers, which I think is brilliant. Um, how many sorcerers did you use and did you have to engage any outside people? We didn't. Um, Accenture had the same challenge that many mm -hmm. other companies have, right? Uh, well, it, we actually didn't as much as I thought we would. I thought we would have a, a slowdown. We would have to reduce our, our teams. We ended up not doing that. Um, but we did uh, sort of put a hold on hiring while we waited and saw sort of what was happening and figured out, you know, how many <laughs> how many people we needed and where they were going to be and all that sort of thing. Right. Um, and man, I we came out of this thing uh, in a way better than I thought we would, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but our recruiters weren't very busy, and I had people that I could redeploy. So um, I honestly could have had as many as I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I only did a, a handful on this on this project. It, it wasn't a big group, but um, I didn't hire anyone else from the outside. Right. I did. Um, I did, however, engage some that that uh, that weren't very busy internally. Mm -hmm. Now, Tangi uh, Pettis. I was talking to Tangi the other day. Um, you know, she uh, she was furloughed, was brought back to her role. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about an A player that got furloughed. Right? Oh yeah. She's a she's a beast. I really like her a bunch, and um, so she was furloughed, brought back into her role. And she and I had been working together, um, in as she was taking on more management responsibility. Um, she had asked me to help her sort of with some coaching on how to position things for executives and that, that sort of discussion. And uh, so we stayed in contact for a while doing that. She had to furlough her team along the way. Wow! And she was able to bring back uh, a pretty good number of them mm -hmm. um so she, i'm i am starting to see recruiters return um based on that and and that was a really happy story right so she called me she said okay i'm making my business case here it is and we worked through the numbers and uh it made the business case and then she called me later and said they did it they signed off they that's <laughs> great that's the thing so that was that was pretty exciting yeah. well so you know we're recording this um, the day after Global Talent Acquisition Day, right? Yes. Which you were yep. part of. Thank you. I was. And I was a speaker, but I also produced the event. Uh, so I was there from 3 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, because That's we true. spanned all time zones uh, for Global Talent Acquisition Day. And the numbers are fascinating. We had we had 41 people from South Africa on and like, it was nice. just amazing. Right. And, um, I had to source a lot of the emails for the speakers, uh, because even though, um, Batman put out this, uh, great invitation to speak in the, uh, Google doc, he's, a, you know, he's a Google sheets guy. Uh, he doesn't, yep. he doesn't like Excel. So in the, in the sheet, that he created for us to uh, contact the speakers who we actually put on the schedule. Uh, a lot of them were missing information because they probably, I don't know, got bounced and he was communicating with them through Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, and so I had to go source a lot of stuff and I use all the tools, right? All my tricks. Um, but the last time I had to do that, uh, I was sourcing, um, for talent net and I was trying to source talent acquisition leaders to invite them to attend. Mm -hmm. And I actually used visage.jobs for that. 
And huh. so I outsourced my sourcing, which is great. Uh, so That's I just, cool. I, yeah. put the, I put the type of role and the type of you know qualifications I want. And, you know, eight hours later, I had an inbox full of, uh, you know, spreadsheets and, um, and, and candidates for that, which is kind of a fun way to do it. Yeah. I've, I, uh, I wouldn't have thought to use them for that. We're, um, we're looking at using them. We, we had a couple of really interesting use cases we were, we were uh, attempting with Visage. I, I really like what they do and the, the product there. I, I like Joss a lot. I think he's, he's a smart guy. Mm-hmm. He's, got, he's got an interesting vision. Um, so we were looking at two different things. One, um, they, have an, they have a platform, and we have, of course, a big offshore recruiting team. So they have a platform that basically is a communications platform between recruiters and sourcers. Right. And um, so we were looking at using the platform so that our offshore sourcers could just have a better mechanism to interact with um, uh, with recruiters. Secondarily, we were looking at them for places where we don't have um, a lot of volume of work and that they can uh, bring in people to do to do work where there are different languages and, and things that um, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I think all of us that have been in RPO at some point mm-hmm. um, get these RFPs and you'll have countries with like two hires here and one hire there. And um, yeah, the, the question is always, can you, can you fully cover all of these geographies? The answer is always, right. sure we can. Right. But gonna, yeah. For I, your one hire, I'm not going to drop a guy in that country. I'm going to do something else. Uh, I was part of standing up a, PO box office in Budapest at one point. So I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So luckily we have an office there, but it's, right. uh, well, we do too now. Or yeah, there you go. Allegis does. So yeah, that's the, um, but that's the trick, right? So you, you've got to come up with, with interesting <laughs> solutions. And, uh, we were looking at how Visage could do that because they've got this sort of network of sorcerers to tap into. Well, and they can, right. Which is cool about it. I mean, they've, they've got 4,000, uh, sourcers all over the world who kind of bid on um, chipping in to source for any requirements that come through from managers or recruiters. It is kind of a fascinating deal. Yeah, smart. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Global TA Day for a minute. What did you yeah. think about that? And uh, I mean, we ended up with uh, 2,400 people uh, signing up and I think up to 1,100 uh, at one time on the platform, which is wow, that's amazing. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a new record. I haven't seen that many on there. I think before this, the most I had seen is the recruiting automation conference had. I think they peaked at seven hundred, maybe mm-hmm. seven or eight. Um, but yeah, that's that's extraordinary. I think you may now have a a record <laughs> for right. uh, for for these virtual conferences. Um, I, I loved it. I thought it was, it was excellent. You know, last year we had the global TA day thing and it was sort of like a pass the hashtag game. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't a lot of juice behind it. This felt very, very interesting. Like it was, you know, I, I jumped on early in the morning. I spoke at nine. Mm -hmm. So I joined about an hour earlier. Um, and I was listening in the first person I, I listened to speak to speaking was, uh from india mm-hmm. so those guys then, were good yeah they were great yeah absolutely 
So I, I was fascinated by it, very prepared, mm-hmm. good points to make. It was excellent. Um, I can't, I don't know the full name, but people were calling her Sue. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. She's good. Yeah. She was great. I was, I was talking about the other two guys, but yeah. Uh, I didn't see those other two guys. Yeah, Sue's good. Um, and then um, uh, I didn't, I didn't, didn't get to see Vanessa Rath, who I, I really like out of South Africa. So I, I thought she would have been. Um, no, I, it just, it felt like an actual global TA day. Yeah. And it felt, it's the, because it's a virtual conference, it's a way of actually having a global conference. This may be, it may have been the best global conference I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it's at least in our space, um, because we really could have people from all over the world come and present, do their thing. Felt like we got to hear from lots of different places. Um, what I really want to do is tap into some of the recordings from these things, because I'd like to see some of the Asia Pacific guys that that were probably before me. Uh, I'm imagining Asia Pacific and, and Europe primarily when the thing first started. And I joined about six hours in. Yeah. So there was a great deal of content before I ever. Yeah, and it was really good. So I was manning the main stage the whole time, but I dropped in on everyone's sessions uh, yeah. to make sure it was just like a live event, right? I'd go right. into other people's rooms and, and check it out. And so because Hopin is such a really wildly flexible uh, platform, you can be in three places at once. So I would just open up another window and I could have yeah. all the sessions going on uh, on multiple screens, which is really cool. So I could kind of see everything. And yeah. I'll tell you, the content was fantastic. So yeah. for, for those who don't know, Global TA Day was presented by ATAP, uh, Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals. And every ATAP member will get access to all the recordings and all the decks. So if you haven't joined ATAP yet, it's well worth your time. A little bit. Well, that's, uh, you know, I think that might be worth the uh, the annual fee just to Absolutely. get the access to the recordings. Yeah. So I'm just, now I'm considering joining ATAP and I wasn't before. So. Yeah. Well, so Jim and I will be presenting the data uh, at some point on a session, just like we're doing here, probably um, that yeah. we gathered the reporting that we gathered from it. It is really, really interesting stuff. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad it was such, such a success. It felt each time I go to these, these events, um, it, it feels like a, like you're actually at a conference. Yeah. Um, the one thing I didn't do in this one was the, uh, the networking button. Yeah. So I didn't do that this time. I think it was so packed with content that there wasn't like a set aside. Okay. Now everybody go network now. Right. So, and I was, I didn't stop to go and do that. So that's there my were, Yeah. There were a couple built in, but you just probably weren't there at that time. I, yeah. I think we should do a little more of that next time, but we were trying to pack so much stuff into the day. It, uh, there was there was huge, well, you know, huge value for me. Good bang for the buck. It cost me zero. Right. And uh, but it felt like it felt good. I got to see people and interact with uh, with people in the chat, and um, it, it was a fun chat with, during my session. So it was great. Right. Yeah. Um, I was really lucky. I got to. Um, well, so my first presentation was at 7 a.m. my time, and I'd already been up and staring at bright lights and screens for four hours at yeah. that point. So I, I was all, and you know, I, and I'd gotten up at 2:30 a.m. So I was already a little, 
a little fuzzy at that point, but I think it went well. And then later in the day, I got to moderate a panel with uh, Jerome Tiernick from CEO of Smart Recruiters and yep. Glenn Cathy, uh, yep. you know, on the same stage. And that's a, a wild juxtaposition because Glenn comes with such a, a, a different approach and focus from anyone else. Uh, and of course, Jerome is very practical and very, you know, forward thinking. And so it was really, really fun. And uh, we had, you know, big numbers watching that, of which, of course, you'd, you'd expect. Now, what's what's interesting is, so I missed that one. Um, my day job got in the way a little bit. Uh, it does happen. Yeah. I missed that one. But I'm curious. I haven't seen Glenn on a panel, and but I know Glenn well. Mm-hmm. And um, he most people don't know this about him, but he's an introvert. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, and he's in a crowd, he's, he's relatively quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, even a, a crowd of people who he knows and who are his peers, if you'll, you know, if we're at a, if we're at a big, uh, conference where he's spoken, even, um, seeing him out, even with the, the other people that he, he works with it's all the time. Rare. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. And he doesn't interact as, as much on a panel, did you have to pull things out of him or was he as dynamic as he normally is when he speaks on his own? So it's interesting. So knowing him as well as I do and having been at many conferences with him before, I always uh, play the part of taking him and getting him involved in stuff and um, putting him in a position where he is comfortable and can kind of uh, get on a soapbox if he wants to, or just sit in a corner and drink a beer. So, you know, he's great. I, uh, years ago, when we were uh, speaking at a True London together, uh, he and I and Marin uh, Hogan and Bill Borman and several other folks got to go to a Portsmouth FC soccer match together, wow. sit sit in the CEO's box, go down on the field with the kids and the players at the beginning, uh, dine with the players' wives, uh, and like all kinds of other oh, my really word. cool I know. It was awesome. Oh my. Yeah. That's a, it's a better story than my stories. I, I don't get to do those things. Usually. Well, so in the panel, Glenn was, Glenn was great uh, because I knew to direct things at him um, that he and I have talked about before. So, uh, and I also, you know, kind of went back and forth and directed things to Jerome and I'd say, Jerome, what do you think about that? And give Glenn a chance to formulate his next thing. And, you know, I, I do a lot of that. And so it worked out just great. And he thanked me for it later. And uh, he did a really good job. It was fun. Now, and he was also actually good at, um, you know, chatting and responding to people in the chat while we were doing the presentation. So he was looking down a little bit, but he was very engaging. And, you know, he's he's got a, a really interesting perspective all the time. Oh, always, always. Yeah. Actually, I, I should give him a call. I haven't, we haven't talked in about six months. So you should give him a call. Tell him I said hello again. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, all right. So Jason, any final thoughts on winners and losers from the COVID impact on talent acquisition? So, um, I, I mean, it's, there's a couple, the big, the big shift that I saw and that I'm living right now is, uh, the big winners seem to be, uh, our lowest, uh, tier of of worker actually in in uh, in the U.S. where you have uh, your grocery store workers, the guy, the people at Walmart, Target, those sorts of things. 
those jobs have solidified at 15 bucks plus an hour, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now, pre-COVID and last year, we were still, you know, I guess uh, minimum wage is nine something an hour here in Texas. Um, and uh, some of those jobs are starting to creep into the 11 or $12 an hour range. Um, Target here, uh, where I am, is at 15 bucks to mm-hmm. start, whether you've ever had a job or not, you're at 15 bucks. Right. Um, Walmart's doing the same thing. So that tier, the the south, the pay has gone up for people that are willing to do those jobs. The follow-on impact has been that sort of the next level, you know, better jobs in quotes were have always been sort of those warehouse worker jobs, right? right. So they also require zero skill um, and uh, and not a lot of prerequisites, but they always paid several dollars more per hour than your uh, your low tier retail stuff, right? So those jobs, they were at the 13, 14, $15 an hour range, yeah. much better than your nine something, but still not great. Well, now there's a there's a war for talent in that space. That's right. And it's so significant that you've got uh, you've got Amazon putting up billboards with uh, with digital uh, hourly rates that are changing by the day. Mm-hmm. So if you drive into work and you see that they're paying 17 bucks an hour, by the time you drive home, they may have upped that to 18.50 an hour. And all of their competitors are scrambling and having to sort of keep up with that uh, along the way. And I think it's just a, it's it's an interesting uh, market position. You're seeing people just really wrestling to to figure figure this out. And I think it's there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the additional f- uh, federal boost unemployment um, was was very helpful because <laughs> at some point these workers it, it made way more sense for them not to go back to work. That's right, right? <laughs> they, they were way better off. So wages had to increase to make it uh, a better deal for them to go to work to to entice them to do that, which I, I think in the long run is probably is probably going to be healthy for that segment anyway. Um, and then you've you've got uh, some people who have legitimate limitations that have been pulled out of the workforce because you know their kids aren't going to school in person, or they uh, they have uh, true health concerns where they need to stay home uh, because they're they're in a high risk category with diabetes or something. Right. So they there are there are these sorts of uh, categories that are pulling people out. Bottom line is. It feels like recruiting uh, software engineers in Silicon Valley in the early 90s, yeah. like uh, or oh no, late 90s, early 2000s. Right. Where remember you would fly, you would see planes flying around um, somebody's headquarters with banners asking them to call the other guy oh, to yeah. apply for jobs. Yeah. You'd have food trucks parked in the parking lot. Um, you know, give us your resume. We'll give you. We'll give you lunch. It's that level of you know, shenanigans going on in order right. to entice workers right now. It's yeah, it's it's Saul Goodman uh, putting pamphlets on car windows. It's I'm telling you, man, it is it is wild. And these are recruits that are not your not the normal recruits that uh, a lot of the the sorcerers and recruiters we work with uh, go for. They're they're not the 
the uh, your typical white collar folks they're not they don't have a resume on linkedin right uh, they don't have a profile you've got to you got to get creative with these things so that's the biggest that's the biggest segment where i'm seeing a bunch of work is that lowest tier of our workforce right is where there, there seems to be the most demand right now so um recently uh allison cruz went to work for baxter in okay. uh, an employer brand role and uh prior to that i had done a project for baxter <clears throat> with allegis where they needed to hire a bunch of warehouse workers um you know their clean rooms and things like that uh, in rural rural North Carolina and same type of thing. And we had to get real creative on how to actually make that happen. How do you contact these people? And we went to, so text campaigns were great, right? Yep. Text, text campaigns were really good for that. Uh, but we also went to um, gas pump ads. Uh, oh, that's a good idea. Well. And um, advertising on Christian radio stations worked really mm. good. And a series of billboards and bus stop ads worked really good. So, I mean, nice. yeah, uh, it, successful project. But, uh, you know, for you recruiters out there listening, if you're if you're stuck trying to uh, recruit these folks that don't have a resume on LinkedIn and they're not white collar, there are ways to do it. But it might be a more traditional approach than the digital stuff you're used to. But text campaigns, clearly, that's that's a good good call. Yeah, I think that's but I think that segment of our population is the big winner in this whole thing like my yeah. my daughter she um she worked on she worked at her campus start uh barnes and noble um at texas a&m and she was furloughed right spring right right after spring break she's furloughed mm -hmm. and um she stayed on furlough through the summer but she also qualified for that federal unemployment yeah this was like a this is an on-campus job man she was right. She was living the life over the summer, oh, yeah. but I, I, I think that these, I think this, that population um, really came out in a better position when it comes to the, the uh, wages and rates that they're able to command these days. Oh, yeah. um, and it's, it was a push, you know, there was a big push to, um, to raise minimum wage. And what's interesting to me is the market ended up doing it for us. Right, right. The market forced that uh, in the end, and it was due to some some oddities in the way that we had that stimulus package built. But ultimately, um, you know, Target said, "I if if I'm going to hire somebody, I I can't pay them ten bucks an hour because no one will work for me. I have to pay them thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and fifteen is their starting point now." Right. And uh, by the time California's minimum wage has caught up to this market. It will be, uh, California has been marching towards, I believe, $14 an hour mm. and their $14 an hour number hits uh, in 2021. And uh, the the market has already said that's that's too low that's right. and people are, should be paid more. Well, and people are moving away. I mean, let's yeah. let's be honest. People are moving to Idaho and to, you know, yep. strange places. If you're going to work remotely, uh, you know, especially in, in white collar jobs, there's a ton of people and, you know, call center jobs, things like that. They're moving away from those city centers because they're hotspots for one. Uh, they're on fire for two. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right? That's not great. 
No. no. Uh, but everybody's got their own disasters. I mean, we live in Texas. We've got tornadoes. That's right. Yeah. So for for anyone listening that doesn't know it, Jason and I live about seven miles from each other, and we meet in the middle and smoke cigars on a regular basis. It does happen. We should do yeah. this. We should do that next time we record one of these. <laughs> in the cigar lounge. Not a bad great. idea. Yeah, I, I'm. Hey, I'm for it. I bet yeah. they'd let us do it. Sure, they would. Yeah. You no, know, we, we could make that a regular thing. <laughs> we set it up with the the mics, you know, with the like a remote, arm yeah, like the ticket. Thing. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. All right, let's make <laughs> I think that happen. A good call. All okay. right, so Jason Roberts, fascinating as always. Uh, thank you for jumping on here with me, and uh, we'll we'll see you soon. All right, adios. See ya. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Inside Talent. Learn more about the future of talent today at InsideTalent.org, where you can sign up for regular updates and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. 